0: Boys, another potty. How are we all doing? Please. How are you feeling? Lance, what's going on?
1: Good. Did you enjoy your long
0: weekend? Did you have a long weekend? No, we worked Friday. Uh, yep. We took Thursday off work Friday. But then me and I did go away. We went glamping on the weekend in Bendigo. Oh, awesome. People saw my story. man, it was freaking phenomenal. I've never had an outdoor bar. I'm not a bath person, man, but put it in the middle of a winery on a deck. <laughs> and with like literally a view of a vineyard, I had two baths. I got up like seven o'clock on the Sunday morning and like Put a hot bath because it was. it got down to like thirteen or fourteen overnight, so it was probably fourteen outside and thirty-five in the bath as the sun was coming up. Man, that's cool. That's awesome. Magical, that's cool, man. man. That's sick. Um, yeah, man.
2: We well, I went to Sydney on Jen and I went to Sydney on Wednesday for a couple of nights, which was awesome. So that was good to stay in Darling Harbour. Um, Lover's weekend, man. What's that?
0: Lover's what? weekend, man.
2: Yeah, well, it was more of a weekday. It was good. We. We dropped the kids off down at my parents, down the beach. And then, um, yeah, we, we, was, it was surreal, man. To have like 72 hours without children was crazy. So that was, <laughs> that was really good. It was nice. We left when we wanted to leave. We ate at the times we wanted to eat, but, um, but no, it was grouse. And then just, we got back on the weekend and straight back into it now. So yeah. What about you, uh, MT? What'd you get up to?
1: I uh, went down to Apollo Bay uh, with mm-hmm. the fam and that was fun. I, um, I went there all growing up as a kid, so I have some really really fond memories of that place. absolutely love it and um, yeah we just we had a really really good time. The kids, my brother's kids, niece and nephew, they, uh, they absolutely loved it and um, yeah. yeah, just had fun and, I, and as I told you in my check-in I, um, I intuitively ate while I was there. you know I um, very
2: well I tra- too.
1: Yeah, I tracked up until um, uh, Thursday lunch was my last tracked meal. And then yeah. basically I came back and then Sunday lunch was my next track to meal. So during that time I was all untracked. And as you saw, I I weighed in the same when I got home as when I left. And awesome, man. I still brought some food with me. I bought some things I knew I wanted to have that weren't gonna be there. But you know, my family they ate pretty, pretty healthy, pretty simple. You know, there was barbecues, it was veggies, it was salads, it was that kind of stuff. I think one night my made a lasagna. But other than that, uh, everything was pretty, pretty standard. And I just thought, mm-hmm. I'm just going to go there and just, um, just eat intuitively. And I knew I was able to because I'm now at my body weight where my body likes to stay. Um, you know, I always kind of land around at that, you know, that 89, 90. If I'm just cruising along, my body just always settles that into that region. So I knew that if I overate, underate. Um, it wasn't really going to change much. And from a hunger, food focused perspective, I'm all good. Like, I'm not even fussed. Like, you know, like the kids were having ice cream and I had lollies and stuff, but I wasn't even fussed. So um, I thought, yeah, I'm just going to go there and just um, just eat intuitively and just uh, and just spend time with the fam. So I did that. But you're going to laugh because you know, what I said to her, I, I might bring my fry, fry pan with me mm-hmm. and uh, my mom's going to have a laugh about it. So I didn't bring it, but Kiki brought hers right and everyone wanted to fucking use it everyone mm, because of there pie. you Is there shit you can't yeah, on good fry pans anywhere so everyone was like oh can i use the fry pan can i, I want to cook some eggs can I use the fry pan fry pan fry pan i was like see i should have fucking bought it bought
0: my- <laughs> man <laughs> you said you were going to do it
1: i know uh, i didn't do it it's like no nah, i won't do it but um
0: mrs, my- mrs. Trimboli's anabolic lasagna yes
1: yeah, her lasagna is good. So it's a vegetarian lasagna, gluten free. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's amazing. I perking up. He's got like, to get yes, it. Get I
0: it do. Me. Do
1: you know what? I do like some lasagna. Yeah. It's probably got more veggies in it than it has pasta sheets, but it's it's awesome. Do
2: you know what? That's how Jen makes lasagna when she makes it at our house. Same thing. Heaps of veggies in there. Blends yeah. better. I prefer it. Otherwise, it gets a bit heavy.
1: Yeah, 100%. Yeah, 100%.
2: Um, you get those micronutrient gains in the process. Love that. Yeah,
1: that no, was awesome, man. Um, but we got plenty <laughs> of questions for the potty. Again, I had to categorize them and I'm just like trying to sort them all through. But you know what really was been really, really good since the last potty and just in general, um, a lot of people have reached out about using the but luckily mindset. And, um, you know, when you say something negative about yourself or someone else says something negative, you add a but luckily and then you say something positive. Uh, One of my clients changed it to instead of but luckily, but thankfully. And um, (laughs) and another one said that they also use um, hopefully, right? So they tried to give me context. It's like if you drive up into a traffic jam, right? If you go, oh, there's a lot of traffic, but hopefully it clears. So they use that instead of um, but luckily or but thankfully. So um, yeah, I've got a lot of messages about that. And then we also got a lot of messages because I handle the the Instagram uh, prep coach page. Got a couple of people message about picking categories and seeing through their physique shots and asking um, what category they should be in. Uh, So that was really, really good that we got uh, some people reaching out. So I don't know if anyone reached out to you guys personally, but they definitely messaged the page. And um, I was able to get some really, really good feedback, which I'm really thankful. And then in some of the, the question boxes where people are supposed to be asking questions, not many people, some, well, some people that didn't ask any questions, they just said, thanks, guys, for what you guys do. I really enjoy the potty. Oh, so, awesome, appreciate it. Um, it's definitely motivating for us that uh, there's a lot of people that are getting, getting a lot out of it. So we That's thank great. you for your support. And also, we thank you for your for your questions, too. But um, I do know if you guys also saw. Uh, if we're going to jump straight into it. I don't know if you also saw that NBA came out with a new division, uh, men's fitness. I know you probably saw that, uh, Scotty. And uh, automatically thought of YouTube boys because I know you guys coach uh, some males and you got some people for season A. Not too sure if uh, you had a look. One thing I thought was interesting, which um, I know Stewie, who runs NBA, who probably tells us a bit more about, but they're actually going to have a weight and height uh, criteria, same as like a classic physique in IFBB. So that'll be interesting to see what they come up with there. But um I think it's just the same as their men's physique, it's the symmetry round, the three poses, and I'm um, oh, sorry, just doing the quarter turns. And then obviously they have the stage walk where you can do like your three uh, poses that you can pick of your choice. So that's something that's coming to season eight. What do you, what do
2: you think, Scotty? Well, I actually had that conversation <clears throat> a few months back with Stu. So I actually kind of made a suggestion if you thought about adding it. Um, And also because I didn't want to have their traditional men's physique say to the same size as ICN. And so I said, what about if we put a, like a height and a weight cap? And so I gave some examples because I prep lots of physique and lots of fitness guys. And so I think that will sort of be how he'll be able to determine it. So for example, some of the taller, bigger guys, so you can work out what their height stage weight is versus some of the smaller guys. And if you know where those top ends are, it's not hard to devise a formula on. Okay. So if someone say if I'm Michael Galanti and I'm 190 centimeters and I'm on stage at 75 kilograms and you're like, you know what? I don't want anyone that's that big. Then you just have to work out a formula based on what is the weight cap you would want him to be. And then you just work out um, per centimeter reduction, how much comes off your scale weight. And then you just apply the same thing for the tall class and then same thing for the short class. So if you had say someone like Thelena, who say he's 60 kilos on stage and he's 160 centimeters tall and you don't want anyone bigger than that then you just work backwards from there and then you have a threshold so if you're 159 for every kilo you give up you might lose sorry for every um, centimeter you give up you might have to lose 500 grams something like that to make weight and that way it standardizes it
1: it's awesome it's going to be interesting uh, having that category come out so uh yeah looking forward to some things but we also got some questions mg about um about what it's like to be a promoter for a and b because i know how much you've been frantically trying to prep for the season a show and i've been bugging you about dates for season season b because um behind the scenes i've done this massive spreadsheet of every single show across every single federation in every single state for australia for season a and season b and i've come up with a full list and um, even some dates in season B aren't publicized, but I've done some digging. I've asked some questions. I've gone behind the scenes, so I've figured out some dates. I've got some dates. So what I'm actually going to do is I'm going to publicize this list, and I'm going to add it in the link, um, the bio link in the Instagram page for the Prep Coach podcast, uh, so that people can go in there and go into the go into the spreadsheet and have a look, and, um, and they can see the... The sheet live, and I'll and I'll try to update it live as new dates come along. And let's try to make it as the master, and uh, get people to share it around and get everyone on top of um, when all it's, the dates. Because it's,
0: it's, it's it's such awesome. an amazing thing you're doing. It's probably more so. So that means Scott, stop annoying you. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> can you give us the dates? <laughs> but, uh, like,
1: just for clients, for picking shows, for posing coaches,
0: and
1: we know like if there's going to be clashes, what people can do, how to strategize for shows. There's one show after another after another, what we're going to do. So, um, yeah, I'm going to publicize that list. So I'm, I'm happy with where it's at. So as soon as I post this episode, I'll also post uh, the location of where that list is and, and um, make it view only, obviously, because I want to be the editor of it and I don't want anyone to stuff it up. <laughs> and um, people can read along. And if there's any mistakes in there or things that I've missed out, people can always reach out and let me know. Back to UMG, um, hmm. how is it going promoting for A and B?
0: Oh man, it's it's absolutely awesome. It's uh, you guys know how much I love the love the sport um, and love like the process. It, there's so many things about it that bring me joy um, versus you know the things that are I suppose stressful in the process. Um, and like to paint a bit of a picture, like I I, I have contact with. So many athletes you couldn't even comprehend. Like imagine my team plus everyone else who's competing who's got questions about the federation, the day, the the tennis. So I'm in contact with so many people um, and I get to be part of so many people's journey as well. Um, and then obviously seeing them all the way through the stage, the posing workshops, um, and then seeing people um, celebrate their success with their family and friends is amazing. Logistically, I think the hardest thing about being a promoter is um, there's only so many weekends in a season. And then, as you're saying, you've got multiple federations running multiple shows. Oh, yeah. you try trying to fit in with a certain block of, of, of weeks because you want people that are prepped at the same time. And then you're trying to balance out your own federations, nationals, and potentially, you know, world shows where you want athletes who are going to be ready for those shows, um, where you're trying to minimise the gap between that show, say your state show, and then your nationals and your nationals and your world so that you've still got athletes who are you know, now not thirty-five and thirty-seven weeks into prep because the shows are so far apart. So yeah. that's definitely been been difficult. Um, and then add on to that, you've got, then got to work in with your venue. So it's not just like I ring up the Kingston Arts Center and say I oh, want this weekend, which is what I was hoping to do for season B. But the weekend that I actually wanted, once I I, I got the uh, the weekend that was right for all the different federations, then Kingston Arts couldn't do that weekend for me, so I had to change weeks yeah. again. So that's definitely been. Um, the toughest part is just the logistics, but that's, you know, you only do that bit of work across a week or two twice a year. So it's it's stressful, but it's definitely manageable. Um, the rest of it far outweighs all of that process. Um, you get the opportunity to work with sponsors and, you know, I've reached out and spoke to a ton of coaches who I've never spoken to before through this journey because, you know, obviously I'm trying to tell them a little bit about a A&B and and what we offer and hoping to give them the opportunity to put some athletes on our stage. So, Um, it's been a whirlwind and as I say to you guys all the time, I certainly love a few more hours in the day to, to kind of fit everything in, but I, um, I'm head over heels with the whole thing. I'm head over heels with the, the, the federation with being a promoter and everything that bodybuilding brings. So, um, I'm definitely doing what I'm meant to be doing, man. So I feel very, very, very lucky at the moment. I think I tell you boys that all the time, but very fortunate. And then add the prep coach podcast in and life's just pretty much set. (laughs)
1: I can imagine how hard it is because I know just me creating that list <clears throat> and just seeing that there's not that many clashes clashes within a state, but across states there's definitely clashes, um, yeah. which is unavoidable. I totally get there's only so many weekends in a year. Um, so, yeah, I could just imagine how tough it is. And I, and I know that some federation heads speak to the other federation's heads, but we also know too that sometimes we're the conduit between
0: for <laughs> sure, for sure
1: promoters and they come to us and be like oh have you spoken to this promoter what, what are they doing for that date like oh I'll find out for you I'll get back to you and we're kind of the middle person but yeah. that's okay well, I, I don't mind being it because I I, I like to know the inside goss too right but um, yeah, yeah.
0: There's,
1: there's some way where either everyone just locks in their date for like a three year period it's like every weekend for the next three years I've locked in the venue on this date and that's the way it is and everyone just knows that they're the dates it's yeah. not
0: as simple as me saying that. I totally understand. Yeah. And the, the other thing is this, is like if you look at, say, us, A&B, and then you look at Stu, right? For for, for our each state show, we have the same team that does every state.
1: Mm. So that
0: team needs to go to each state versus ITN, who have a different team in every state, Correct. who can run. New South Wales could do a show at the exact same time as Vic, who could do a show at the same time as WA. Mm-hmm. Not that you probably have three on the same one again. But because obviously, you know, we try and keep things unified and we want the same team judging and, and all that, we have to fly that team around. So we can't, we have to even then fight with our own different as for what weekend we want. So it's, it can be really difficult to, to navigate sometimes. And I think someone sent something into the page the other day, like, um, or why, you know, why did you, why did you take New South Wales dates from this to this or something like that? It's like, we didn't have a choice. It was either that or no show. So Sometimes, you know, in the back end as promoters or as, you know, um, directors of federations, we are doing everything to have it as as smooth as possible and as close to other shows as possible. But we also have limitations that unfortunately we just cannot control. So, Yeah, I, that would be tough.
1: When you've got the same crew that needs to go to every single show across all the states and fly in, fly out, yeah, you can't yeah. run at the same time on the same day. And I know IFB is the same, right? So Doherty, he runs – he's the – promoter for each one, and he's also the MC for each one. So you can even see by me doing his dates, he doesn't have any clashes across the states because he needs to go to every single show, right? Just mm-hmm. like Stewie needs to go to every single show for NBA. So I totally get that. Gym, coaches, yeah. You get the same crew, you get the same judges, you get standardization across every show. Mm-hmm. But I totally get it that it is difficult for you guys to to try to pick weekends across every state so nothing really clashes, and you can attend every single one of them. So yeah super tough for sure yeah, yeah. And like
0: like for us like like Jen and I and and you mm-hmm. know I'm sure she's the same like we're probably just running one show a se- a season right mm-hmm. and, a, and a nationals in a state so so then you know there's obviously a balance of trying to get you know other fans like RCN's obviously got multiple shows that takes up multiple weekends so mm-hmm. um, that's that's where the balancing comes but we do our best to all communicate with each other it doesn't always work out sometimes it's not because you know there's any ill Feelings towards one another It's just like At the end of the day We all want what we want And we're all going to do The best for our own friend And if that means that At some point You know You have to take a day That somebody else wants it It is what it is Like,
1: Yeah I get it Because Yeah you're right there So You run One show Per season Per state Whereas yeah. ICN would run So for instance Just in Victoria Just in season A, They've got three shows Yeah right? um, And then They've also got you know, two shows in Queensland. One's a, a North Coast and a South Coast, and then there's one in like they got two, so they've got multiple shows in one season, in one state. Yeah. So therefore, yeah, you, you're bound to clash with one with one of them, of course. So it just becomes very very difficult. But yeah,
0: let's
1: keep we keep pushing on and keep getting it done.
0: We do, man, and we'll always keep getting it done. And you know, some some years it'll be exactly as we wanted, and others it'll be not on the week that we wanted. But we're still going to put on an amazing show, and that goes for all federates, no doubt. We all put our heart and soul into prepping it and organizing it, and trying to make it a little bit better every time. And at the end of the day, man, the outcome is that the industry keeps leveling up. And um, you know, for us as coaches, and for anyone out there who's competing, that's the biggest win about all of this. Is um, you know, we're we're just trying to get better and better every season and provide athletes with experiences that they just haven't yet
1: had. Yeah. And like what we discussed in the last podca- podcast is you can do back-to-back shows, back-to-back weeks. It's, it's definitely doable. It's, it definitely can be done. The only thing that I know when I'm looking at the list and the dates is I don't want them too far apart, right? Of course. So I don't want someone that has a show and then four or five weeks later they need to do another show. Like I'd rather them be back-to-back or every second week than having to wait, you know, four or five weeks in between shows. So I know with even people that I'm getting ready for season B, I start to look at like am I going to put them in early in season B and they're just going to do the early season B shows or they're going to do all the shows late in season B. I don't really have anyone that's going to do an early season B show and a late season B show because there's like a good 6 or more weeks between the first and the last. So it just those kind of things become pretty pretty difficult, especially if it's someone like a fitness or a figure girl or you know someone what like the guys are going to be super lean to kind of hold that conditioning is 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 definitely not fun.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, all right, let's jump into some some more questions here. So similar to a question that we got about pros the other week, uh, what's your thought on pros competing as an amateur in a different category though? So like a, a sports model that's a pro doing fitness model as an amateur? What do you think, MG?
0: Yeah, I mean, i, I... Personally, I don't think that's a problem. I mean, there's different categories. they judge differently. They have different criteria and being a pro in one doesn't automatically make you a pro or doesn't even make you top level in another until you've proven yourself. So I, uh, I don't have any issues. Like Scott, you would have gone through that exact thing, right? You won your fitness pro card and physique ads to pretty much go and, and win everything from the bottom, which you did. So it's really just the kind of natural path of progression.
2: Yeah. I think so. I think especially on both sides in, in the girls, there's such a big difference between sports pro and fitness pro. Like, I mean, we saw that you look at someone like Shona who she won the pro show in sports and she,
1: yeah, she won overall. Yeah. Pro.
2: And then you compare her to say Montana who won her fitness pro card. Like there's a big difference in terms of muscle maturity and whatnot, but there's like there's no qualms at all in her wanting to do both and competing as an amateur in fitness because there's such a big gap. And it's exactly the same in the men's divisions. If you're you know, you're know, a pro in fitness, as you just said, and you want to jump up and try and do physique, there's a big, big difference. There's some bigger, bigger boys that you got to go up against. And it's similar in classic. If you're a classic pro and then you want to try and get your pro card in bodybuilding, for a lot of the time, you're going to be up against some bigger units as well. So I think each division essentially goes up a level in terms of... Size conditioning, um, so I don't see a problem with it at all. Yeah,
1: yeah totally agree. You, another question we've got: Do you have anybody this year that will be contender for a pro card in your teams? Yep. Yeah. Do, you, do you want to say, do you want to say who they are? Just go like, yep, I got some. No, sorry, guys. I want to. I want to. I just want to say. I
0: just want to say, yep.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think I just want to say, yep, also. Yeah, I don't want to, like, add any unnecessary pressure onto someone. 100%. To, yeah, like,
0: definitely, I think, you know, and there's, I've into a lot of seasons feeling like like a big bulk of my team can do really, really, really well because, you know, I know that, like, we put the work in and we always target a certain level of condition that we want to bring to stage, both men and female. So, you know, that the team's going to do well. And then there's people who just have certain genetic potential that you think will do really well. But, um, yeah, I, I just would hate to put that pressure on someone and, You know, if things don't go your way, because it is a subjective sport, that you know that really overly disappoints the person.
1: Would you say um, more so in your female divisions, or male, or a bit of both? Would you say bit of both? Bit of both. Bit of both. both? Yeah. Yeah, I would say the same. I I I can see people in the team that, yeah, because mostly I I train females, so. But across the three major ones. Like I mean, I can see people in both your teams that I
0: think could do the same thing. Like, yeah. like undoubtedly, like you just yeah. as coaches you have an knife for this sort of stuff and there's just certain athletes who, you know, you know and, and like if I use Trimboles as an example, there's an athlete in Trimboles team who like I've seen in person, not so just like Frodos who I look at and go, Fuck, that's this chick's got an impressive physique. So yeah, I think it's um I think it's like we didn't really talk about this on an episode. Is do you know who is going to do well? Did someone ask that specific
1: question? That was a while ago. One of our first yeah. episodes. Yeah, that was so like, last season. Yeah, yeah. So like the same sort of theory. You
0: know, on your own team, you know who's who's got crazy structures, crazy crazy muscle bellies, insertions, and gets like the right condition very easily. Um, and you can see that on other on you know other athletes who work with other coaches too.
1: Yeah, you you, you know how I am, MG. Like, but I would never tell that client for sure. Like, I would never guarantee it because I can't, right?
0: Yeah. It's
1: it's yeah. about shooting for it and getting them. I've said this so many times this week to the clients. It's like, we're going to make you your best. Yeah. That may be that you are also the best, right? But I can't guarantee that. But I can definitely guarantee we're going to make you the best you
0: can be. For sure like to yeah. so you being the best, then for sure, man, so for sure. I do think Scott Morrell will win the pro show, but I want to put that out there, Scotty. Yeah, I'm gonna say that because that's how that that one I'm comfortable with. Oh, you said you're not
2: trying to put pressure on people, bro. No, Come
0: you're, on. you're you're a brother, man. You you thrive, man. You thrive with pressure. You're just a warrior, man. I've seen you prep for fucking forty something weeks and just have like a, a like a shield of, of armor around you, no matter what was thrown at you, man. You just kept going, so. You can handle
2: it, man, and that's and that's why you're a multiple time pro
1: champ because you can handle it. See so, yeah, how we go. <laughs> um, we've got a, a bunch of questions about amount of weight loss in a prep. So there was a couple. One was about you know can you lose thirty kilos in a prep and win a competition? Now the winning a competition bit we can't guarantee. The the weight loss we can talk about in a second. Another one was what's the most weight per week. A female client has lost in their prep, and then um, then there was a subsequent question about um, how much weight do girls normally gain in their off season? Is it 10 kilos? Is it more? So the first one is 30 kilo loss, and then what's the most someone loses per week in a prep? For this, we're talking about females, but you can speak about males too if you want. What do you think, MG?
0: <clears throat> well, I mean, I'll just look and say I've got like a, an Emily who I'm coaching at the moment, who's about 25 down at the moment, and you know we've still got about you know probably another six or seven across the last 18 weeks. But this hasn't been a 30 week prep, so just I want to yeah, say yeah. that as the start. Right, this has kind of been ongoing for you know closer to a year with you know plenty of breaks along the way and periods of maintenance and growth and. So someone can definitely lose 30 kilos in prep. And of course, who knows who's going to win on a day. But yeah, it absolutely can be done. But I think what the question is meaning is in one prep, in a typical, say, 24 Mm. to 30 week prep. Well, no, because then you're going to lose a kilo a week for 30 weeks. It's just not possible. So it's, it's, it's really going to be like length of time, rate of loss you know, where, you know, you start the prep and you're probably able to drop off when you've got a lot of fat tissue on the body already, you know, maybe 1% per week for a sustained period of time is sustainable and then dropping down to, you know, something on the lower end, you know, 0.5% and again, there's going to be plateaus, there's going to be um, roadblocks on the way Um, but it's really just all about a time thing and we talk about it all the time. It's like work out how much you think you need to lose, reverse engineer it in how many weeks it's going to take based on the numbers that I've just given you, allow some time for some breaks because you're going to need it and that's going to be your your sort of period of time and that's obviously very basic and very general but that's not a bad starting mindset of of calculating how far out you might be yeah. providing there's all the other factors in place metabolism's good you've got a good amount of muscle for your category mm-hmm. and obviously plenty more too but yeah I've
1: definitely had a couple that have lost that much weight in a prep and it was a traditional like 28 30 weeks which is pretty, it's on the longer end for a female yeah. Uh, but they've lost that much weight around about the 25 to 30 or even more kg now obviously yes it's not a kilo a week because they lose a lot up front and then it plateaus out so you know when someone asks the question the most amount of weight per week you can lose in prep it's it's a sliding scale they'll lose a lot at the start and then less at the end so they lose 28 kilos in a 28 week prep doesn't mean they lost a kilo a week right um that's not our going in position. We don't want someone to be trying to lose 30 kg for a prep. It's not fun. It's definitely not fun. Not something yeah. that we and want if to. you
2: had someone that perhaps was that far away, you'd build that into your timeline. So they might want to do season B this year. And you're like, you know what? Let's do season A next year and let's run an aggressive pre-prep phase that may be 16 weeks of dieting. We pull off half of that. And then we bring you back out slightly, and maybe you only have to lose, say, 17 kilos in your 28 or your 30-week prep. And at least that way, it's more manageable. I think it's a bit easier for guys. Like, typically a lot of guys, if they're in the top, like if you're a bodybuilder or a classic and even some of the um, physique guys, it's not uncommon for them to need to lose anywhere from 15 to 20 kilograms. But again, starting point is ideal. Uh, but if you're losing more than that, or you're having to then you probably just you needed to just start a little bit in in better nick but i mean one one of one of my guys i've got competing who he's not far he's probably only a few more kilos away from being ready and he's still 10 weeks out but he's pulled off again we didn't have the luxury of putting a really really good pre-prep phase together because of when we started but we did we allowed a longer timeline but he by the time he's done, he it will be close to 20 kilos that we, he will have lost over his 32 weeks. Yeah. Which when you think about it, it's a lot of weight. 20 kilos is heaps. Yeah. But, like, but as you said, a bulk of that was done like, I think maybe 10 or 11 of that was done in the first sort of seven or eight weeks. Mm-hmm. And then obviously that rate of loss declines because obviously there's less fat mass to be able to liberate as you go down.
1: And especially if it's a first-timer, we really don't know what their stage weight's going to be. Like, we have a really good educated guess because based on the amount of people that we've worked with and seeing a lot of physiques and a a lot of, you know, different bodies and knowing what stage weight roughly they're going to be. But sometimes, yeah, it's hard to predict to be like, "Mm, it's probably going to be around about, you know, this much on stage. But um, sometimes we nail it. Like, I've been pretty surprised sometimes how (laughs) how close you can really, really get. And sometimes you're a kilo or two off. But again, that's it's about looking at the physique and assessing right along the way and, and that changes as we go.
2: Yeah. If you are, and if you are prepping yourself, as a rule, I always sort of say to people, if you think you've only got 10 to lose, add 20%, that's probably what you need to actually lose and build that into your timeline. Yeah. Yeah. Because worst case scenario, you say you suck down and you're one or two away from where you originally thought you were going to be and I'm telling you to add that 20% and you don't need to then that just buys you more time to be able to close the gap and eat into the show. But it's pretty rare that you see a full lineup on stage where everyone's at 100%. Yeah. Well. So I'm if
1: always- you're working
2: for yourself, you'll want to prep yourself as a rule. I always, and even to some of my younger coaches in terms of that I uh, that I work with um, by a mentoring program, I'm always like, if you think that they have... 10 kilos to lose, then probably budget for more like 12 to 14 because that's probably where they're going to be. Because when you first start out, you don't have that anecdote and that data over, you know, the last 20, 30, 40 shows to be like at the start of a prep, this is what I I had estimated they were going to be at, this is where they land, this is how far I was off. So moving forward, if you think they're going to be here, you make that allowance based on your, your previous um, data that you've collated and then it will give you a little bit more of a, an accurate representation. And that's normally pretty close
1: yeah like I know with me when I got to around about just under 80 I was like surely I haven't got far to go like I look pretty diced but I got down to 75 you know what I mean like I got another 5 kg more and I was like all right this is where I need to be fine all right
2: <laughs> this is how diced I got to be fine you know but but with that it also depends on how far down you want to go so we've had this conversation like for I your know. next show like You might have, you might be ready from the top up. And it's like, do I need boxed off glutes? Like, do I need to be completely striated glutes? If you don't need to, Mm. then is it really worth like, you know, robbing Peter to pay Paul? Like, yeah, we might suck down a bit lower. I've got to work hard. I've got to diet longer. I'm probably going to lose some more tissue on the way, but I'll have striated glutes. But if no one's going to see them and everything else up top is as is, then what's the point?
1: Yeah, that's one thing we spoke about. It's like, if I'm doing men's physique and not classic or bodybuilding or anything anymore and I'm wearing board shorts, does, do I have to wait in my progress photos and in my checking photos until I get striated glutes to know that we're there yet? Like I'm not even going to see him. Right. So it's all about mm-hmm. what are the, what, are the, what are the, does a the physique look like where they're going to judge? Right. And is it, that's right. Is it, is that where it needs to be?
2: And sometimes like in, in some cases, everyone liberates fat from different areas at, at different rates. So like typically glutes are renowned to be one of those areas that are the very, very last to come in and they normally are, but for some people, they come in a little bit earlier and you you start to get some striations earlier, but it might be that they hold a lot of belly fat and that takes the longest to come in. You know, I've had guys that their glutes are, are in when they're like 10 weeks out, but we're still having to dig them because they're still holding composition around the midsection. Or their yeah. lower back, or somewhere like that. So it, it just depends. But in an ideal world, if if you're a men's physique athlete and your glutes are the last to come in, and everything else is ready early, then you know you're laughing. Don't hopefully you. that's the case for you, bro.
1: Thanks. Yeah, hopefully I think it should be like just <laughs> looking at how my position. yeah I think so. Yeah, for sure. Um, the other part of the question was weight gain in the off season. So you know how much to how much do you normally get? This is for girls. They asked about you know, how much above stage weight are they? Are they 10 kilos max, more or less? Mm -hmm. I normally base it on a percentage, to be honest, and also depends on um, what category they're in, right? So if they're in figure or fitness and they're super, 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 super lean, then the weight discrepancy from stage weight to peak off-season is going to be bigger from a number perspective than someone that's a bikini athlete, right? they're not, normally not going to have to, you know, there's not going to be such a big discrepancy between their off-season weight and their their stage weight. How about UMG? Do you based on a percentage or...?
0: Yeah, a little, a little bit of both, man. And the other thing that you mentioned, like, spot on with the figure is also, like, someone's first prep versus, like, someone who's done their fourth or fifth prep. It's like I tend to see that people that come out of their first prep tend to put a little bit more on than someone who's, say, coming out of their fourth or fifth prep. A lot of that's probably around, you know, potentially they've got a little bit more muscle tissue, or you just get better and better at the reversing process. So that first initial gain straight after comp in that um, recovery diet or even in the reverse diet um, tends to be managed a little bit better and the, the, the rate of gain seems to be a lot slower in that period. But like, for, for example, if I was to say like uh, a 55, 57 kilo bikini athlete, um, you know, probably something around 65, 66 as like a bit of a, a gauge. for like where i to have my, you know, first real assessment. But again, I think we've spoken about this many times too, is people get to that point and get really, really uncomfortable because it's not a position they've been in for a long time and they want to get out of it straight away. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the three of us are all very big advocates on like, you know, trying to hold that position for a, bit, a little bit longer. Again, mm-hmm. an environment that is conducive with obviously putting on muscle tissue, but obviously recovery energy um, and uh, making sure that, you know, the new muscle that you're building actually hangs around instead of dissipates straight away. So yeah. to answer the question, um, I don't have like a specific number. It's all athlete dependent and obviously it depends on how lean you've been and how many shows you've done as well. But I do put some parameters in place for what I sort of have my first assessment at.
1: Yeah. For, for me, I would say the number is between five to 15% above their stage weight. That's kind of where it is, right? I don't normally see them anything under 5% above their stage weight. So if they're a 50 kilo athlete, they're gonna to to have to get above 55 in the off season, right? Um, at a minimum, it's like, that's 5%, right? 15 is probably getting on the top end, but I've had girls where I've had to get them around about the 15% above stage weight so they get their cycle back and they start to feel good again, yeah. So, and also depends on that. It's how are they feeling? How are they performing? What's their energy like? What's their sleep like? What's all those parameters that we talk about that go away in prep, have all they have all of them come back? And if they're not back, then the weight needs to keep coming back on. You keep pumping in those cows and uh, bringing that weight up until they start to feel themselves again, yeah, how they should in the off-season. Yep. What do you think, Scotty?
2: Yeah, I kind of have... <clears throat> Everyone thinks I only work with guys, but I actually do work with with a few females as well. And I've got quite a few on the off season. It'll be on stage 24, 25. But I think one of the first things that I analyze is firstly, what is the timeline from where they are to where their next show is going to be? Because that essentially determines how much wiggle room we have. If we have an extended period of time, typically I think as a general rule, anything over 20%, you're just getting unnecessarily heavy. But one of the biggest things that I hold a lot of weight on is what is the composition that allows the athlete to perform the best at in the gym and bearing in mind that the physique that you perform the best at will rarely correlate with the physique that you like the look of the most. So those yeah. two typically don't go hand in hand. So for a lot of females, <clears throat> if it means that I have to give up, say, say I've got a, a girl who competes in fitness and she's, I don't know, 45 kilos on stage, right? Right. So 25 or say 20% above that is only 56, 57 kilos. If I have to have her in that top end range, even 60, 61, and what she can do in the gym, and I've got some girls in that that sense and even a figure girl, what they can do at a level that's above 20% versus when they suck down, the difference is chalk and cheese in terms of what they're capable of in the gym. And if we're trying to accrue and bring on new tissue, then for me, and I'm like, you know what, I know that I can pull off 10% if I need to in eight weeks. That's not really a big deal. So if I build that into my longitudinal um, timeline, which I typically will, I don't have any issues with them being a bit heavier as long as the relationship with food is there and they're not stressing over it and they're not binging and they're just they're eating more food. And for a lot of the part as well, it kind of helps to, I guess, mitigate any of those issues around food like to have them feeling like god i've got to eat again i don't really feel like it and that they might be a little bit uncomfortable with the composition they're in i also like having them learn to become okay with that based on what it allows them to do in the gym so that they can see that despite they're a bit heavier and they may not look the best in their bikini what they are able to do in the gym at that composition versus what they do when they're shredded they just can't do that so over time if they're going to be in the sport for a long period of time you can kind of differentiate this composition serves function and this composition serves function and if i ever want to just live in the middle then maybe a really nice medium for me to be is if i'm not ever going to compete maybe i'm somewhere down the middle of say 12 percent over stage weight i'm healthy my cycle's there i've got a good relationship but when i want to put on size as you guys know You've got to be at a level like the things that you can do at the gym or that you can do in the gym when you're at your heaviest, it's rare that you're able to do that when even when you're 10, 15 kilos lighter. Like MG, we were talking before how you're like, man, every every meal is a struggle at the moment and you're at that top end threshold of weight. The things that you're doing in the gym numbers wise, n- none of that data's ever been on your spreadsheet since we've been working together and you also haven't been at that body weight and that composition before but i also know that i can get you shredded super easy it'll allow x amount of time and i could also clean up 10 kilos in six weeks if i wanted to so it's like when i look at that timeline is you being a bit heavier is that really like is that really the problem not really and same with with girls if anything again i think it's advantageous because it it also gets them to be comfortable and to love their body and what they're able to do perhaps when they don't look at their best in their eyes versus I look at, you can deadlift three plates. When you're below 50 kilos, you're lucky if you can deadlift 100. And again, I know which weight's going to allow them to to build more muscle. So I I don't think there's a right or a wrong amount, but that's just how I sort of tend to approach it, that I don't have an issue with that. But the caveat to that is there's no point in getting unnecessarily like overweight or fat just for the sake of it. Because essentially at some point, you've got to die that off. So if you can get to a point where you're able to gain tame, foods good, all those endocrinological um markers are where they need to be, and your health markers are where they need to be, then I think that's the right amount um, in terms of where you can you can kind of chip away. And if performance is good and you're not having to, you're not gaining like seven, eight hundred grams a week, if they're just mini gains and you set in point that bandwidth that we've spoken about, then, then that's okay as well. So I think it's bespoke to the individual, but I definitely don't think there's an issue with being a little bit heavier, but I, I, I think it's more the guys that tend to just, I'm bulking. And then like, I see lots of guys at the moment that are doing season B on Instagram and they're just unnecessarily fat. Like I look at them like, man, you've got 35 kilos to lose and you're gonna jump on stage. I know, oh, you're running your bulk and. They're very associated with like a hundred kilos, and that's what I weigh. But it's like your stage weight's going to be like sixty eight. <laughs> so I, I think there's different situations, and I think the guys are more inclined to want to go down that path. But um, but as it was sort of framed around girls, yeah, I think for, for me there wouldn't be any girls in my off season at the moment that would be based on numbers, it would be under 15%. Most of them would be in that probably 18 to 25% mark range. But again, those that are getting closer to a show, like say season A next year, I've got a couple of people doing that for 2024 girls. They would be within 10% of stage weight or close to it by the time their prep is going to start. And again, that will be built into the timeline. So I think as long as you have, and we've spoken about that, longitudinal periodization view and you're not just looking at 6 months then i think and that's the advantage of working with your coach all year round um but yeah do you do
1: you guys know where your your like settling weight if you want to call it your settling weight is if you were just to stop tracking eat intuitively not try to force feed and just just eat and train do you know what your settling weight would be like i know mine is where it is now Is like around about 89, 90. Do you know where yours is, Scotty?
2: Yeah, mine's normally, it used to be, from my last prep, I'll just hover around 91-ish, but now it's around about 95. So, and I'm finding that point, like we are speaking about, where I'm pushing more food in, but I'm like like 100 grams, 200 grams. I'm still in that 95.1, 95.3. It's just that sort of like that sticking point where I have to really push it over the edge. And then I'll see some, um, some, okay. some game.
0: How about UMG? Yeah, I reckon I, I could sit at 92, never have to pick up a scale ever again, and just float between 91 and 92 easily. Yeah. It's just, just that happy point. And, and at that, and at that weight, and the amount I'd be eating to hold that weight, I have patches where I'm hungry, patches where I'm not hungry. That's mm-hmm. kind of like my, my sweet spot. Training performance is still reasonable, but I like to touch on Scotty's point. like, Obviously, I'm um, the heaviest I've been, and I'm eating the most that I've ever eaten, and I am uncomfortable. But you know, I'm walking into the gym and doing exercises that we're in previous phases. You know, especially when I'm dieting, I'd be like almost half psyched out, stepping up to the bar because I'm like, holy shit, how am I going to lift that weight? Now I'm just like, I'm thinking about it the night before. So yeah. it's it is it is such a different world to be in, like. The uncomfortable parts now the food, but the training is like the bit that you go. This is why I love bodybuilding. I forgot about this when I was prepping because the weights become so hard. So you do need to spend periods of time in this in this point. And it's not until you get to this point that you realise how important it is. Yeah, and you and you realise that being lean and being like reasonably lean all the time is just such a waste.
1: Yeah, it, it's going to make all the difference. It's yeah. going to make all the difference when it comes to stage. And I think that's the kind of perspective some people need to have. Is yeah. that. Being a little bit uncomfortable is a sacrifice uh, that you need to endure if you want to be competitive because there will be people out there that will do that. Yeah. And then they'll be the ones that may have the edge on you when it comes to
0: this. And can we touch on this? It's not a question that got asked, but I get this a lot with my team. It's like, you know, I know people look at other people on Instagram and there's some people who are in their off season and they're still like, you know, reasonably lean but look a lot bigger and their weight's going up. Guys, don't forget how much genetics play a part of this too. Mm-hmm. So like we always talk about not comparing yourself to other people. It's for that reason. It's like maybe for me to put on two to three kilos of muscle in two years, I have to carry a little bit more body fat than maybe someone who's a little bit more genetically blessed, you know, hypersensitive to growing muscle and just grows muscle a lot easier and doesn't need to push as much food. So I'm never going to compare myself to anyone else because what I need to do in my off season to grow muscle is what I need to do. Don't worry about what anyone else
1: looks like or is doing in their off-season. Just follow your plan. Oh, I, we could go on the biggest tangent about the, about that whole thing because I get that. Do it, I mean, do it, do it. Like, okay, first thing, a couple of things is, is what they're showing on social media actually a good reflection of what they actually look like? You know, we're talking about posing, lighting, angles, da 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 da, da right? Because there's so many people that I've seen on social media which are big influencers, and I've ran into them at shows, at uh, a different place and be like, they are a lot heavier than what they look on their photos, right? So anyways, let's just pretend there's no illusion there and actually look as good as what they actually post. The next thing is, what's their experience level? Like how far are they into this compared to you, right? Are, are they someone who's been training for 10 years and you have only been training for two? The muscle maturity they're gonna have is gonna be a hell of a lot different. And we all know when you got more muscle you look leaner even if your body fat percentage is the same as the person next to you right because muscle is popping right muscle is showing it's creating shape you look leaner than what you really are so you may have you may both go get a dexa you and the person you are comparing yourself to and the actual body fat percentage is exactly the same right but they just look leaner than you because they have more muscle mass right mm-hmm. and the next thing is too is maybe they're really good at their reverse diet maybe they didn't put on so much body fat so quickly Right, and they actually did not. They did it at the correct pace they should have, and so now they're actually in a really, really good body composition position for their off season, where maybe the person that's doing the comparing didn't approach the reverse diet in the appropriate way, and they have put on too much body fat too fast, right? And maybe their their optimal body composition where they should be might actually look like this person that they're comparing themselves to. So there's a lot of things, a lot of factors going on, and then yes, you add in genetics, right?
0: Yeah, and then maybe they're enhanced too. Throw
1: that in. And maybe, they're, and maybe they're enhanced, which is probably a probably possibility because a lot of people that people send me, like, why can't I look like this? But it's like, uh, you realize that person's enhanced, right? They're like, oh, I didn't know. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. So um, th- there's that element too. And also we spoke about this the other another episode about body fat distribution and where people store their body fat. And there's people that are just, they have an Instagram body, right? All their body fat is in their lower half on their fucking glutes only, and there's nothing in their midsection. So they wear some really, really tight pants with the crop top, they've got abs showing, and they've got a big booty, right? Because that's where they hold their body fat, and they've got nothing in their midsection. So they look lean, <laughs> but they're actually not lean. All their body fat's hanging around there, and that's when we said, wait until that person jumps on stage, when they actually need to get lean, and all that body fat comes off, and they've got a pancake butt. So... <laughs> Just you got to, there's a lot of factors that come into when you are comparing yourself to someone else and that's why it's not good to do that.
0: For sure. Yeah. And like the best thing that you said there is, man, like how long you've been doing it for, and the more muscle you put on, not only just for the way that it looks, but the more food you need to sustain that amount of tissue as well. So it's just so many paths to it. So that's why comparisons are such a, a dangerous thing, especially in our world. But you know, unfortunately with social media the way that it is, it's always gonna happen. Um and that's why if you've ever got any concerns or you're worried about where you're at, just, just talk to your coach. Like, Tell them how you're feeling. Have a conversation with your coach. I said in my check ins to Scott this morning, I'm like, bro, my legs are shredded, my arms are shredded, and I'm carrying a child downstairs in the midsection. <laughs> All right? Like I did. I'm like, but it's fine. It's like I'm, when I train, I'm gruffly the way my legs look. I love training shoulders. Um, they stay lean. So I can deal with a little bit of fat around my stomach, bit around my chest, because I know that, like Scott said, if, if we need to pull off some weight fast, we can do it. But... Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm certainly not going to get caught in that of the habit of looking at, you know, these IFBB guys who I love, I follow them, I, I respect what they're doing, but they're in a different world to me. So, yes, I admire it, but I'm certainly not comparing myself.
1: So, we actually got a question about PEDs, right? And I wasn't going to talk about it because I didn't know whether it was going to lead into that way, but we, we are leading there. So, let's just talk about it, right? Um, one of them was about how do you feel about PEDs, so performance-enhancing drugs, uh, and making the move from natural to not natural for a female. So, sur- not surprisingly, but there was a, an athlete on Instagram that I saw the other day that did an uh, anonymous you know, question-answer kind of deal, and they openly spoke about their PED use. What they were on is a female IFBB bikini girl you, maybe someone out there that's listening to this might know exactly who I'm talking about, but um, they were natural for some shows, and then the last year where they made some great progress, they said they were on PDS. They're quite open with it, and they there was about a list of five or six they listed it, listed out, and they were ones that I know, like male bodybuilders take, right? And um, she said that she got results from it. Surprisingly, no, not no surprise there, but she said she felt mentally like garbage, like absolute garbage, and it really affected her mental health. And she's off them at the moment for that big reason. And when it when that came out, it was kind of no surprise to me. It clicked. I'm I'm a very perceptive person. Like I I look at things and I really I'm really attentive, and it's someone that this is person someone that I follow and along the journey you could tell that there was underlying mental health issues there like there was and just the way they were swapping and changing careers swapping and changing whether they're competing or not swapping and changing going offline online offline and just knowing because i coach a lot of females so i know how people act when they're in that kind of mindset their mental state and then when she said this the other day she said this is the reason this is what it did to me and this is the reason why i went off i was like this all makes sense now this all makes absolute sense. So when this person asks this question about what do we feel about it <laughs> um, if you want to do it from a competitive standpoint and you're going to go into a federation where they're not going to test you, just understand that yes physically you're going to progress but maybe not mentally and emotionally and that's a big risk that you need that you need to understand and, and that you've got to take into consideration considering the fact that this person that I'm talking about, and I don't know about this person that's asking it, but they're competing in divisions that I know girls are winning naturally. So it's how much do you want it and how much in a rush are you to get it? Because it can be obtained naturally. Now, MG, yeah. I know you know about PEDs more than I do. They rattled off all these names. I like, yeah, they sound like drugs to me. I don't, I don't know what they yeah. are. I should have yeah. switched with it, But, um, what do, you, what do you feel?
0: Yeah, look, it's hard from a female point of view because my only exposure of coaching enhanced people um, has been through males, right? So mm-hmm. I, I certainly wouldn't know what the substances are and stuff, but um, how they affect the female, I, I wouldn't be sure. But I'm, if you just look at, like, last season alone in IFBB Bikini just here in, in Australia, um, you know, there was some some natural competitors who did amazingly well Yeah, just use Becca as one example. She cleaned up VIX, did amazing at national. So I think it depends on your division. If you are someone who is looking at doing something like a a figure or a physique in an IFBB, I just don't think that there's much chance of doing very, very well as a natural in those type of divisions as a female. And then if we transfer that across to males there would be a very small percentage of natural male guys who could do well in men's physique. Um, at an IFBB show, you would have to be like, you know, at a level of like a Scott, you know, a natural pro champion because I've been to the shows many times. I've coached um, guys that have done IFBB as enhanced athletes and the, the size is just phenomenal, man. Like being backstage, I'm just, you know, it's, it's, it is mind-blowing. And then you go even bigger than that and you look at, you know, someone of like Matty's size and then step up to like an open, um, you know, where so some of these guys are, you know, 110 kilos plus. It's just, it's just not not going to be possible. So I, I think that, you know, there's a place for it in the sport as long as you're competing in the right federations and the right divisions. And I think as long as you've got someone um, who's there, who can guide you, who's got experience um, to, to help you make the right decisions and not overdo things. But at the end of the day, you know, I would want to be somebody who has everything in check, uh, mental health's in a really good place um, and there's nothing that's going to contribute to you um, potentially, you know, feeling a little bit depressed because it's not something that you can really stay on forever. And at some point you're going to have to come off. So if you are starting it in a bad place, assume that when you come off it, that place will probably be a little worse. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And this person I'm talking about actually has a, a reputable co- coach too, um, yeah. so it, it was just a, it was a little bit surprising. And yeah. um, I know is it an athlete, Australian athlete or Australian athlete? Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, Victorian athlete. Um, mm-hmm. I know this coach also coaches su- someone else who's also admitted they're on they're using um, PEDs, and I was surprised they were because they don't look like they would because they uh, they they still look natty. I was really surprised. I was like, okay, uh, all, these are all famous. Yeah, they're all females yeah yeah I was, I, was, I was pretty surprised with one of them i was like mm, you, you look like if you're taking stuff you should be far, more far along than what you are
2: but there's so many people that we see it a bit perhaps don't do well in the natural federations i've seen some of the guys do it and they move across thinking that you know pharmacology will attenuate the problem maybe that's why when in reality if you're not doing all of the right things, if you you're not your nutrition isn't on point, your training is on point, your recovery is not on point, if you can't sleep and do all the things you need to do, then what's the point of, of doing it? Because all it allows you to do is to take things to a more extreme. So if you're not doing the basics to, to build muscle, drugs aren't just gonna make like magically make you huge. You you have shitty workouts and you eat like garbage and you don't sleep, and just because you're taking, you know, tests or growth or debol, whatever it is you're taking, doesn't guarantee that you're going to get a result. It just guarantees that you're going to sting your wallet and you're probably going to fuck around with your blood markers and waste your time.
1: Yeah. So, MG, we've got a question about clembuterol. So let's answer it because we're talking about PEDs anyways. But uh, it says, uh, thoughts on using it for cutting, dosages, time periods. Is it worth taking? You probably know better than us
0: uh i've never had anyone that i've coached that's used the van so i can't really give any feedback from any of my clients about it because i'm not from i know what it is but i'm not familiar with it um
1: what does this meant-
0: do so it's basically like people say like it speeds up your metabolism it's like the feeling of like um probably like intense caffeine that is pretty much you know, twenty four seven when you're on, depending on your dosage, of course. Um but basically, you know, the idea is that it, it essentially helps you burn more calories at rest.
1: It increases your heart rate, right?
0: Definitely. Yeah. And I think a lot of the a lot of people a lot of users say they experience things like, you know, jitters, hand sweats, um, heart palpitations, these types of things which are gonna come, you know, similar to like a high dosage of caffeine. Um but yeah, I haven't coached anyone who's used them, man, so Okay.
1: Actually, we've got a question about caffeine. Thoughts on caffeine intake, and is there a limit? I know for you, MG. Obviously, you can talk about your what you're going through with it.
0: Yeah, so I obviously have a heart condition, um, which is you know, a pretty common one. It's called atrial fibrillation, and my heart goes into a regular heartbeat, and can be triggered by a number of things, caffeine being one, high stress, um, you know, drugs and alcohol. But that, that are doing that, so it's easy. Um, but I have to go into hospital potentially, have the heart zapped back into a normal rhythm or take some medication to try and fix the heart rate that way. But hospital is the end result. So I obviously have to be a little bit sensitive with my caffeine. Um, and over time, I've worked out a dosage that sort of suits me, that doesn't cause me any issues, which, you know, a normal dose, something like 150 to 180 milligrams for me is like a nice sweet spot. Hence why I don't take pre-workout every time I train because I'm trying to keep a little bit of sensitivity still there. Um, but, you know, if you were to dose me up somewhere around the 3 to 350 mark, it's not to say I would have an episode, but I would probably put myself into AF just from the stress of knowing that the dosage is so high mm-hmm. that I'd probably start to panic a little bit. But um, the, the, Scott's spoken about this in the past, actually, that like the minimum dosage is recommended um, for athletes. It's like huge, Scott, right? It's like the guidelines are, yeah. are phenomenal. Like. Three
2: to six milligrams per kilogram of body weight.
0: Yeah. So that'd be six, that'd be three to 600 milligrams for me, which, which would, which would fucking hospitalize me for sure. What's so
1: interesting is like most pre-workouts, they start at 200 milligrams start like, and that's really not a common dosage. They're normally 250, 300 or more. And a lot of people are double scooping that stuff. So I know I've had clients that are like, Oh, I get dizzy. I get dizzy later in the day. I was like, how much pre-workout and coffees are you having? And then we realize they're having way too much. I was like, dude. It's, it's a lot. And you got to remember, that's
0: then going to leave the body too. So it's not always the way you feel on just the way in. It's also later when it leaves the body. Exactly. a lot of people are feeling these things and they're not thinking it's the pre-workout because they had it six and a half or seven hours earlier. Yeah. But at 100, that's that was one of the things that I used to feel all the time when I would have too much six or seven hours later, I would 100% get an episode of dizziness. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then so. obviously it affecting your sleep. Like I just had a conversation with a client the other day during check-ins about not being able to sleep. And I was like, you're taking pre-workout. When are you taking it? And they told me, I was like, it's too late. Like that's very, very late in the day. It's probably going to be what's affecting you. And they were having a high dosage. I was like, but how yes. am I going to get through my sessions? I was like, okay, let's half dose it then. Start with yeah. half dose and just start reducing that person down because they weren't sleeping. Yeah. I was like, sleep's way more important. Like, yeah.
0: yeah. You, know, you know what's been the biggest thing for me? is like um, since being deeper in offices and having far more energy, I actually started just to trust myself that I could have a session without it. Yeah. And every session I started to have without it, now just I, I will say I still have citrulline and beta-alanine because I, I buy that in its, its own form and mix that myself. And I do put a little bit of sodium in it. But I, I'm just saying the stimulant part, I removed it, you know, two or three times a week and the session was just as good. Yeah. And all of a sudden I started to trust myself again that guess what? I don't need it all the time, yeah. and my sleep's better, and it's nice not to have to just rely on it all the time. Um, and you can still have a great session, but I do understand how people get caught in the trap of feeling like you can't survive without it when you are a bit deeper in prep. So caffeine can be used as a great tool, but I think when you're in off-season, it's a really good chance to maybe step it back a little bit yeah. and just show yourself that you can have killer sessions without being steamed off your face all the time.
2: Yeah, that's and cool. it, and instead, I was going to say, too, too many people place emphasis on that pre workout supplement, but they don't pay attention to their peri workout nutrition. So I would say, like in the off season, be more concerned with the meal that you're consuming before you train, because that's the substrate that's ultimately going to fuel your session, not the caffeine. Like, yeah, you, you'll see a little bit of an increase in performance, could be anywhere from maybe 10 to 20%, but there's, an, there's definitely an element of placebo to that but if you're getting the right amount of carbohydrate you're getting a, a protein feeding going into your session it's low fiber you're hydrated that's more than enough like bolster arousal levels by watching a youtube clip of you know jade cutler or ronnie coleman or whoever motivates you and then heighten arousal levels you know via the, via that way you know listening to music as well yeah. to uh, enhance sympathetic drivers so there's other ways to go about it rather than just worrying about caffeine.
0: Yeah, for sure, man. Yeah, like, you know what? When I I started working with Scott, and obviously, Scott, you put me on like a cereal-type food pre-workout, my stress now, if I don't get that cereal meal in, that's the like, oh, shit, like, I'm probably going to have a shit workout, not the caffeine anymore. That's been the biggest switch for me.
1: Scotty, I love how you go into these, you say these things because it leads into another question I have, right? Perfect title. I don't even know what the
2: questions are, so I don't, just, you don't even know the
1: questions. I only, only only I know them. But um, MG Scotty Fitz, right? Your your main man, Scotty Fitz. Yes, Liz, he yes. question. He actually videoed it to me yeah, oh, on the IG account, and his question, in a, in a long winded way, but try to make it shorter, is complex carbohydrates post workout. Right, Scotty, I'm gonna get you to take over this question. I think the context is. He trains in the morning uh, after one having one meal, mm-hmm. and he also sometimes trains later in the day after work. So he's probably eating throughout the day. So complex carbs post workout, those two scenarios. How would you tackle it? What do you think?
2: Yeah, for sure. So if he's training fasted first thing in the morning, I assume he would be consuming potentially backloading the night before with some carbohydrate because that carbohydrate's not going anywhere. So he will. Likely have achieved um, complete muscle glycogen saturation, so when he goes in in the morning, he normally would only—I'm assuming—need a small meal, um, a little bit of carbohydrate, like some rice cakes and jam, maybe a WPI shake, so he gets that MPS spike. And then post-training, he would definitely want to have a good carbohydrate feeding. So I don't think—I mean—you could have some simple carbohydrate straight away to get that initial um, insulin spike, but if you're consuming say a polysaccharide like, or a, a starchy carbohydrate, if it's potato, or if it was rice, you're gonna get that over the entirety of the hour that's starting to be absorbed and digested anyway. So I would definitely recommend having a complex carbohydrate post-training, <clears throat> bearing in mind that most people are only gonna be able to um, absorb and digest around about 80 to 100 grams within that first hour or just in hour in, in, in general. So a little trick that you can to help um, to help add towards that partitioning into that digestion is to consume glucose with fructose. So for example, if you can add some fructose to the meal, we've spoken about this before about the um, the glucose transport is being a little bit different for glucose and with fructose. So if that, um, that sodium link glucose transporter has already been saturated, then adding in some fructose will essentially allow you to be able to take on board more carbohydrate and then to be able to partition it. So it might be having a little bit of fruit with that meal, or it could be um, grape juice or something like that, or a banana adding that in. It could be banana and oats or potato. Um, You might have banana straight away post-training, but I definitely wouldn't delay having a, a complex carbohydrate feeding. And that would definitely be your, your go-to rather than just onboarding, a ton of simple sugars straight away
1: okay so actually complex carbs would be your go-to post training considering <laughs> the fact that you've probably had something before you've started or maybe during your training session so complex mm-hmm. carbs is completely fine you don't need to shovel in a bunch of simple carbohydrates it's not really as necessary as what people think
2: for sure and typically if you take on too much obviously glucose is more um, readily available, it's faster absorbed. But if again, there's a limit on how much you can onboard in a short amount of time. And most people, for most people, it's normally around thirty to sixty grams. And if you exceed that, you're going to have some GI distress. Versus if you're taking a uh, a slower digesting carbohydrate, it will still make its way into to circulation. And again, given that you're taking it first thing in the morning or you're eating that first meal, there's no real reason that you would need to have to get a carbohydrate um, on board as soon as like, obviously you want to get a feeding as quick as you can, but getting simple sugars in straight away is not going to supersede getting in a really good, um, slow releasing carbohydrate, which is still going to do its job. And is going to top up muscle glycogen stores over that period of an hour to two hours. Um, I know if I had to choose between eating lollies and a protein shake versus having, um, you know, having your shake and then maybe 45 minutes later, Having some rice or some potatoes and then having some chicken or beef or whatever it is you're eating, that's the, or it could be oats with protein powder, or whatever, that's definitely going to be more beneficial.
0: Yeah, and I just, I reckon, I reckon his post workout at the moment is oats, WPI, blueberries and a banana. Banana, know.
2: perfect, that's good. Yeah. You're
1: ticking yeah. all the boxes. Just quickly, Scotty, real quick, so now we've got to go, but if you're in prep and you don't have many carbs, right? Mm hmm when would be the best place to put them before or after training? If you just had to pick
2: one or the other, I would stick them before bearing in mind that the carbohydrate that you're onboarding, it's unlikely that you will have, depending how low your carbohydrate is, but it's unlikely that you would have complete muscle glycogen saturation. So when you are training, you're going to be breaking down liver, depending if you're onboarding carbohydrate before your training, as soon as carbohydrate is in circulation or you take on board some carbohydrate straight away, you're not oxidizing lipid to fuel your energy demand. So that carbohydrate is the substrate that you're utilizing to be able to make ATP until it's gone or you've used that up. And then once that's been used up, you're obviously switching over to, um, to lipolysis. So you're breaking down fat cells to obviously to fuel your energy demand. So I would rather Fuel, given that carbohydrate is a better substrate to fuel training, especially resistance training, I would rather have that on board early. And then afterwards, as long as you're getting protein in, if you don't have any carbohydrate in um, post-training, so if you're feeding low, then essentially you are going to be in a state of lipolysis thereon after. So that would definitely make a lot more sense than going in without carbohydrate and then putting it back in afterwards when you're probably going to burn through that throughout the day, just doing whatever you're doing. Um, So it would make a lot more sense to take that um, carbohydrate and put it into that pre-training meal. Uh, And and that's typically what I do with all of my athletes myself. There'll be depending when they're training, if they're training at 11 o'clock, their higher carbohydrate meals will be meal one and meal two. If they're training at seven o'clock at night, they would be meal three and meal four with a a lower carbohydrate, high protein meal um, post-training. So that again, when they finish that, they're going to get the MPS spike from the um, from the protein, but they're also going to be in a state of lipolysis post after that.
1: Yeah, awesome. So just for people that don't know, lipolysis fat
2: fat burning, right? Yeah. So sorry. So, yeah. So yep. lipolysis is a state of oxidizing lipid to fuel your energy demands, and obviously glycolysis, we're breaking down um, glucose, and um, yeah, yeah, and MPS
0: muscle protein synthesis, muscle well, protein so.
2: synthesis. Yeah, and again, it's important. As we know, especially when we're in prep, we want to make sure that our rate of breakdown versus our rate of obviously rebuilding. So think of it as blocks. Every time you train, you're taking some bricks away from a fence and every time you consume some protein, we're putting the bricks back on the fence. And in order to build more muscle, we need to make sure that there's more bricks on the fence at the end of the day than there was when we started. Yeah.
1: And that's probably why it's important to have that protein meal post training. Yeah,
2: And the, the advantage of having it I mean, we know that obviously when we have a protein feeding, we get that MPS spike. We also get it and we know that we elongate it when we pair that with resistance training. So if you have, and that's why it's so important in the morning, if you're training faster, people are like, oh, I don't really feel like a meal first thing in order to maximize that MPS um, period of time. And just to be clear, again, we're talking about protein synthesis. So we're synthesizing more protein. Then we want to make sure that we get even if it's just a shake and typically you need at least 20 grams of protein of complete protein source we need to have leucine in that and then obviously pairing that with the resistance training will cause that spike to go up and then eventually it's got to come back down again Mm -hmm. and then obviously having your post-training meal will send it back up again and it's constant we go through waves like that all day every day it's normal but we want to make sure that obviously the time we've got our baseline we want to ideally have more time above that than below that yeah. to ensure that we don't end the day under versus over.
1: Yep. Awesome. Thanks, Scotty. That explanation, mm-hmm. I think that'll uh, get that, that one done for, um, for Scotty Fitz that sent that through. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Boys, we have gone through heaps of questions. We actually got heaps more, but we've got to leave it there. Um, mm-hmm. We'll continue on for the next days. next week. Thanks, boys.
0: Thanks, MT, for uh. Thanks, boys, MT. Thanks, no guys. Worries. Look forward Let's to next you week. Appreciate you. Thank you. See, See you, guys.